Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Impact Agenda podcast, the podcast that aims to redefine and expand the boundaries of a social impact career. I'm Evie, and alongside my co-host, Elise, we are so excited you are joining us in our journey of finding purpose in our professions. Today, we are joined by Rob Romero and Kristen Hansen. Hi, Rob and Kristen. We are so excited hi. to hi welcome both of you and hear all about Civic Health Project and more. For our listeners, we're going to provide brief backgrounds on both of our guests. So Rob Romero is founding partner and co-founded the Civic Health Project following the 2016 presidential election. Rob is currently the CEO of Connective Capital, an investor in emerging growth companies, and he's a passionate advocate for research, insights, and tools that help human behavior and biases, social media, and democracy to play better together, reducing the corrosive forces of polarization. Prior to launching Connective, Rob had leadership roles in marketing and engineering at Cisco Systems and various tech startups. Rob earned his BA in Economics, BS in Electrical Engineering, and MS in Engineering Economic Systems from Stanford University. A lot of Stanford. <laughs> and Kristen is the Executive Director of Civic Health Project and is dedicated to accelerating the efforts of academics and practitioners who seek to reduce polarization and improve civil discourse. In addition to her role at Civic Health Project, Kristen serves on the advisory boards of all sides, Business for America, and Listen First Project. She also serves as a year-round lecturer in strategic communications at the Stanford Graduate School of Business. She holds a BA in political science and an MA in international policy studies from Stanford University and an MBA from the Stanford Graduate School of Business. Welcome, Stanford. Yeah, welcome, team. Stanford. Or Stanford. It. I hope you Princetonians won't hold it against us. No, <laughs> certainly not. We're friendly. <laughs> That's awesome. So we're going to dive right into it because we have so much we want to learn from both of you. So first, Rob, perhaps you can kick it, kick it off with how did you and Kristen meet and how did the Civic Health Project come about? Okay, well, thanks for, uh, thanks for the question. And uh, yeah, excited to be here and share what we, um, how we got together and how we started this because this is definitely not, I would say, my career aspiration. I didn't start out in my career when I was at Stanford studying engineering and economics, thinking I was going to be an impact. But here I am. And I'm frankly, it's the coolest thing I've done in my life. And I'm really excited about it. And I definitely uh, I encourage people to look at it, whether you look at it right away or you look at it later, always keep it in mind and, and realize that, yeah, even if you don't do it first uh, right away, you're you building up experiences in your career that can get you to where Chris and I both have, because you know we didn't do it, neither one of us did it right away. But um, to get to how um, we started it, well, look, I mean, on my own, I was um, like, as, as most people, was a little shocked about the uh, outcome of the 2016 election. You know, not so much because, you know, one side won or the other, but just the way the process was run and how yeah. I felt, um, you know, democracy was working or not really working. Um, and especially how, you know, the, the, the nature of being shocked and realizing that, that how could we think, how could not only got we get the election wrong thinking that, you know, Hillary was going to win, but instead Trump won, but there was such a misunderstanding on, on behalf, of, behalf of me and the people that I knew for this group of people that were the majority of our country that voted. So, uh, or at least the majority of the electoral college, which is still a lot of people, right? So I delved into a lot of self-analysis and understanding, read, reading a lot of books. You know, I read a book um, uh, about moral foundations theory um, from a, um, 
Jonathan Haidt uh, called The Righteous Mind, which really helped me understand there really was a spectrum of, 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 of moral values that really was not so much light, hard right and hard left, but a really a mix of, of values that, that helped me understand that from a scientific perspective, we're all kind of in a spectrum. And it was really the politics, the nature of media and politics and the way to get elected that's really dividing people. And this is really not right, is that, that the way our politicians are being elected isn't really representing how people really are in reality and how even people who are labeled right and left aren't just right and left, but they have a spectrum of values within that. Mm -hmm. So that kind of led me to thinking about there's a better solution. And as I started to look at organizations that are focused in the space, um, we, uh, Kristen and I met because she was also going through her journey and she met, she was working with an uh, organization called Living Room Conversations at the time. And we met an event, a fundraising event for that. And then I, I saw in her uh, just an amazing, very inspiring person that also was kind of in this transition. Um, Kristen, maybe you can tell your part of the story. That'd be great. Yeah. Uh, similarly, for me, the 2016 election uh, was consequential. And, you know, I think for a lot of people it was. And as an outcome of that election, whether you were thrilled about it or whether you were really devastated by it and, there, you know, people landed all over the map as far as that goes. Uh, one thing that surfaced out of that election was a level of surprise among, I think, most Americans that we were, in fact, so divided and in fact evenly divided relatively evenly divided that was a very close election and it started to feel really important to me to understand some of these forces of division that were seeming to push different parts of the country apart to get underneath that and understand that better i it's hard to even explain why but it it suddenly felt just extremely compelling and important to inquire about the, the sources of that division and what we might do to uh, pull Americans together again in a more connected way, whatever our political and ideological beliefs and views, the, the real trend line that started to expose itself and surface both before and after that election was that our different views and opinions about issues, ideas, and policies were starting to tilt into more of an emotional realm where Americans were beginning to feel an increasing amount of animosity, contempt, disdain for one another that mm -hmm. that election surfaced. And these are relatively unhealthy emotions that when they surface between Americans or people in any uh, democratic society can make it much harder for that democracy to function. So finding Rob at, um, at a really important time where we wanted to join together in this work and do something meaningful that would examine and try to address our deep and deepening political and social divisions in the United States felt like a journey we both wanted to take and take together. And in my case, that meant pivoting away from a private sector career that I had been pursuing for a couple of decades prior to that, um, both before and after attending business school. So Rob indicated we were both kind of late coming into our impact careers. And that's exactly right. That's exactly right. So our message to all of your listeners and viewers is that, uh, hey, we would love to think some of you might start your impact journey right out of college. I would say now with the perspective I have, the sooner the better. We need you all. <laughs> but if you decide to do it later in your life, that's great, too. Making that pivot to impact work anywhere along your career path is an important thing to consider. And if yes. you do it later, like Rob and I have, then you will have experience in other sectors that you can draw on. And we've done that, too. Definitely. 
Thank you so much for telling us more about how Civic Health Project came to be. And when thinking about impact and issues to work on, I can't think of something more important than tackling polarization. I mean, as someone who is not even a U.S. citizen, I think I was really shocked by the outcome of the election. And I think something that really stood out to me other than the things you were talking about, like animosity, is also kind of how, you know, when polarization is really present, it's almost even the truths that people believe in aren't even the same, and they're completely different, right? And so at that point, when we don't even believe the same facts or have understandings on issues or what reality is, how can a democracy even thrive? Or how can we even come together to talk about really important issues that aren't initially polarized, but just things that we have to deal with, like healthcare, like climate change. Um, and so on that, our next question is, to what extent do you believe, which I believe you would believe that extreme polarization is a huge problem, but maybe talk a little bit more about, um, Kristen, specifically your views on kind of like, what are these factors that have made polarization such a huge issue in the US? Um, and how are these factors kind of evolving post the 2016 election. So by virtue of the fact that Rob and I are spending our time and our resources towards this problem, that's an indicator that we in the root cause analysis we've done have determined that while America faces many challenges right now, many economic challenges, climate challenges, um, political challenges, uh, challenges around healthcare and education, we have chosen to dedicate our time and resources to the problem of extreme polarization because we kind of see it as the problem that makes all of those other problems harder to solve, right? Mm -hmm. um, now, it doesn't mean everybody should quit what they're working on or quit their impact pathway and pivot to working on polarization. But what we do see is that whatever impact issues people hold dear, and some, some people are coming at these issues from a more conservative angle and some are coming from a more liberal or progressive angle. Again, there's a whole spectrum of, of perspectives and values and beliefs out there, and we must honor and acknowledge that, that diversity, that spectrum. But whatever issue you care about, the more rigidly polarized, divided, mistrustful, and gridlocked a society is, the harder it will be to unlock the solutions that we might all be looking for on these different fronts, let alone um, predicate those solutions on some kind of common ground or shared perspective of what might be the most viable path forward. So, uh, so for us and for our organization, Civic Health Project, we would like to help unlock the energy and the potential for America to address and resolve some of its biggest challenges by helping us to reduce the level of extreme division that we feel, reduce the level of mistrust and mm -hmm. suspicion that exists, whether at the level of political elites or at the level of everyday Americans, so that we can move into problem solving mode, find a sufficient level of trust and opening that we can come together to deliberate on and resolve our different opinions. And hopefully out of that yield the best, most sensible solutions by virtue mm -hmm. of the fact that we've brought a diversity of opinions together. But in order to bring all those different perspectives at the table, we've got to be willing to sit at the table. And that's where it starts. So that's kind of how I see the interconnection between uh, this impact issue that we work on and so many others that people across America are working on and trying to make progress on every day. But again, polarization can be a real impediment and can even have us moving backward in areas where it feels real important to be moving forward. That's super useful to hear, Kristen, just breaking down the extent of the problem. And clearly, 
It is a large one, and I really like what you said in terms of this can arguably be, you know, root cause of the many other economic, social issues that the U.S. is facing. So definitely a worthy one, and glad you guys are spending your time, attention, expertise on this. We would love to hear, and perhaps, Rob, you can kick us off with this one. Could you guys break down what exactly is the specific mission of Civic Health Project, and what are the different types of works that you guys are doing? Yeah, well, look, um, um, we have three different types of work that uh, that we do, but starting with the mission, I'd say, I mean, the way I look at the mission at the end of the day, it's um, there. There's the, the area that we play in is as a means to the mission. Um, I'd say the area where we play in, generally speaking, is the improvement of democracy, making sure democracy works well. There's a one side of the democratic reform or improvement, which consists of structural reform, the the which basically means the structures and organizations and processes whereby politicians are elected and those need to be improved because in many cases they are leading to, you know, not the greatest leaders or more polarized leaders than we need to, or ways that politicians with left or right can manipulate the process to stay elected and stay in power, or in some cases be corrupt. So that's a whole set of, uh, of, 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 of activities and a movement that needs to happen. That's not what we do. We're focused on an adjacent side, which is the bridging area, which is the more social, which is the fabric of the people and how, um, uh, organization or people and the media and politicians relate to each other to create an environment that uh, that that uh, that leads to democratic democracy working. In particular, polarization. If you have people who are divided into super right and super left and they hate each other, you know they're always going to pick candidates that are very divisive and not necessarily on the basis of who's better for the country, right? So we're focused in that area within the area of of of, of bridging and, and social change. We're um, there's a few areas that we focus on. One area is um, is the uh, well is basically granting. We are a granting organization. That's the primary goal of Civic Health so far. So we seek, identify, uh, assess uh, uh, projects that are in the field. They're basically these are individual entrepreneur. These are basically impact entrepreneurs, typically early stage, sometimes starting, usually quite small, that need extra funding. So we are a funder, and so we are. I'd say one of the more prolific organizations for the last four years finding organizations that, that, that need money. We've made over 50 grants so far. And so for an impact in, uh, investor, such as even some, some students perhaps that want, might want to start something, there, are, there is a student, and maybe Kristen can talk about later, her uh, experience with uh, Bridge USA, which was a student-led organization that we funded. Uh, that, that can lead to some really good success, and we've had some good outcomes there. Um, second thing we do is sometimes we seed uh, seed fund and we uh, uh, we incubate uh, projects. If there's not a project out there that, that, that can meet the needs of what we think democ democracy needs, we will fund it and we will create it. So we, for example, uh, were a key an instrument in the uh, social cohesion impact measure, which is we immediately noticed that when coming in here, it was very hard to tell what was a good project and what was a bad project because knowing, you know, obviously some of the leaders were very charming, but knowing what is the impact to uh, of their efforts and for every dollar we put in, what kind of improvement in, in democratic conditions that would result, it was hard to know. So we um, were a key sponsor in a movement which is called the Social Cohesion Impact Measure. That's an mm -hmm. example of something we incubated uh, that has been uh, uh, very useful in our community, our industry. We've also done a couple other projects and maybe we can talk about later, but incubating is, is the second thing we do. And the third thing is we uh, sponsor academic research. So knowing that basically and being sort of science people, both of us, Kristen and I, really want to make sure that we're doing things not just on our heart and our gut, but on the basis of what actually works. Because there is a sense of, um, going back to the funding aspect, 
that um, funding this area is kind of squishy. I mean, investing in democracy and doing something in democracy is, is not as hard and as real and tangible as doing you know, climate change because you can invest in solar farms or trees or wind farms or something that's more tangible. Democracy, especially the social side of it, is kind of a squishy thing. So we need to make it uh, more real. We need to make sure that the academic science behind it is, 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 is and there's a lot of it there already, and we need to make sure we improve it. So that's the third area we, we invest in. So those are the three areas that we've, um, uh, uh, we focus Civic Health on. Definitely. Thank you for sharing. And kind of touching more on civic health projects, specifically kind of the philanthropic kind of role that it plays. I know that you both have kind of worked in the private and now the public sphere. And I would like to get your view specifically, Kristen, kind of how can different stakeholders like play a role in basically addressing um, political polarization? Like, why did you specifically choose to go into the philanthropic field, given that you've worked in like private um, sector, given that you also are a lecturer at a university? Um, could you kind of bring us what are the differences and roles that these kind of stakeholders play in solving this issue? Maybe the where, where I'll start is that when Rob and I found each other and we wanted to work on this project together, this problem of extreme polarization, our initial instinct was actually to create something ourselves, to become practitioners. We just, we had this impulse to work on the problem and we thought, well, maybe there's something we can put out into the world that will be helpful. Pretty soon, though, we shifted into more of this funding and field building mode because we recognized as we started to just get the lay of the land that there were many different interesting innovative ideas erupting uh, largely based on the same energy that that catapulted Rob and me into this work which is recognizing mm -hmm. that uh, America's civic and social fabric was looking to be somewhat frayed that relationships communities and the country as a whole were being pulled apart and so as we did that landscape work, we realized that there were actually many good ideas out there that needed support and backing and, um, and promotion. So that shifted us into thinking that perhaps our best and, and highest use could be as field builders. And I would use that term to describe our work broadly, where we have been building the field of organizations that are targeting the problem of extreme political and social division in our country from a very nascent stage, because this is, for the most part, a relatively new social impact field. And any new field could use some help in these ways, getting more connected, coordinated, funded, promoted, uh, and networked out into wider society. So we do make grants. We also do joint fundraising with our grantees, uh, seeking other and more diverse sources of funding. And then this field building work sometimes goes beyond funding. It's making sure that organizations are equipped to have the greatest possible impact. That could include equipping them with measurement tools as Rob alluded to. It could include advocating for them via media and social media channels. It could mean connecting them with other fellow travelers who are doing similar work. And I wanna say that Rob and I have been engaging in this field building role within what is broadly called the bridging divides field here in the United States. But there are many adjacent reform fields that have been growing up alongside ours over the last several years. And I like to try to get this, this positive message, this message of hope out <laughs> any chance I get and with any audience we have like our audience today. And, and that is to say that one of the best kept secrets in the United States is that there is this massive cross-partisan 
reform field of democracy strengthening organizations working every day in every community, every state and all across the country, not just to strengthen our, our social and civic fabric, but also to make advances on those structural reforms that Rob was describing, to strengthen civic education, to strengthen national service, to bring local journalism back to town, uh, where it has sometimes created news deserts and voids of local information and knowledge. This kind of gets back to your, your earlier points about myths and disinformation. So I want to stress that this whole field that we are a part of and trying to build up is nested within other adjacent fields that are collectively working to strengthen the health and the endurance of America's representative form of self-governance. You can call it democracy, you can call it a democratic republic, you can call it representative democracy, but at the end of the day, it's undergirded by the principle that we, the citizens, we run the government, we make the decisions, we are represented and our voice matters. And part of how we exercise that citizen voice is we come together and we look for collective ways to exercise that voice across as wide uh, a, a political spectrum as we possibly can. And that's where the bridging work really comes in. Thanks, Kristen. We'd also love to hear about a few of the stellar nonprofits that you have funded via the 50 grants and counting from <laughs> yeah. the project. Super Terrific. exciting. We love and to talk about our grantees. That's our favorite thing. Okay, awesome. And in chatting about a few of your grantees, we'd love to hear specifically what are the unique strategies that they are taking to creatively combat political polarization? Rob, do you want me to start? Maybe I can chime Why don't in you with take, a few take of my. Because I can talk about Bridge USA would be great. I think that's, yeah, a, that's a really good sure. one. But there are others. For sure. Well, I want to start by kind of framing up that when we think about grants and and based on again that that landscape work we've done to fill out this massive reform field. And and today again, your your listeners and viewers might be surprised to know there are hundreds of bridging organizations across the country. Some working at hyper local scale, some working at the national level, and closely adjacent to this work, there are professional mediators, there are dialogue and deliberation experts, facilitation coaches doing work every day just to help people connect and engage in civil discourse across different perspectives, backgrounds, and beliefs. So, just thousands, thousands of Americans engaged in this bridging divides work. One of the big realizations, though, if you are out there working as a bridger, is that even with hundreds of organizations doing this work, what's the most powerful thing is when you can bring that work to places where Americans already live, study, work, play, serve, uh, pray. And so connecting all this bridging energy and intent to civic structures, organizations, institutions, communities where people gather is really mm -hmm. where the magic happens. So we think a lot about our grant making in terms of looking at these bridging organizations and where and how they're having impact. You can kind of think of this as their roots to market. Are they working with faith communities? Are they working with college students? Are they working with military veterans? Are they working with a particular faith community or interfaith communities. And so that notion of how bridging organizations fuel and scale their work by partnering with broader civil society is a big part of, of what determines our grant making. And so Rob mentioned earlier, Bridge USA, a phenomenal example. This is um, 
an organization led by CEO Manu Mil, who was a student at Berkeley when he started Bridge USA, but today it has more than 50 chapters on college campuses all over the country that are creating forums and spaces for students of different political perspectives to come together, practice and learn civil discourse, exercise those muscles, develop a bridging sensibility and propensity, and they are growing faster and faster all the time. And you can kind of see how conflicts often erupt and play out on college campuses. We're all experiencing it right now in terms of the, the wide variety of reactions around um, Israel, Hamas, and Gaza. Mm-hmm. We have an election coming up that's going to really amplify and, and stress those fault lines and fractures on college campuses. So Bridge USA is doing really important work. Another organization that's very present on college campuses, this is not a grantee of ours, but I want to just shout them out because they're doing great work with interfaith communities, both on and beyond college campuses, that's Interfaith America, another phenomenal bridging organization. In the faith space, we have made grants to One America Movement, working within evangelical communities, Resetting the Table, which had its origins working in Jewish communities to bridge differences of opinion over Israel policies and over the Middle East. Um, Another is Mormon Women for Ethical Government, working within communities of Mormon women all over the United States to cultivate bridging principles and the notion of what it means to act and move in the world as a principled citizen. That's their term. So these are, oh, and I'll mention one more, More Perfect Union, which is founded by military veterans who now want to serve within their country and are launching service chapters called Brickyards all over the United States. And these Brickyards are open to um, people with or without military service in their background to come together and bridge across different um, components of their communities into one common service-oriented club or brickyard. Really awesome work that they're doing all around the country today. So those are some of the ones I wanted to shout out. Rob, did you have any any you wanted to add or maybe talk a little more about our work with Culture Changers? Yeah, well, look, um, I mean, there's so many to talk about. I mean, I hate to just highlight a few, but I think, um, I, know. I mean, certainly Culture Changers is, uh, is, is a really phenomenal area. And, and, and in fact, uh, you know, some of the 50 that, uh, grants that we made originally were to documentaries, uh, 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 documentaries like Abortion Talks, which is a very an excellent documentary that we found that it has been played at, you know, it's played well with both conservatives and progressives as a way to take a very incredibly toxic and difficult issue to discuss and a very emotional issue. And, you know, finding that um, dramatists and dramatizing it, in this case, in a documentary, you know, was a great way to not only get the message out, but get communities and groups to get together, to have a reason to come together. So it became not only a message in and of itself, but a way for people, churches and other civic groups to bring people together to talk about topics, in this case, abortion, which is a very divisive issue the last few years. and, and potentially open up the, uh, the the avenues for other things. So there's a success with that, and and other documentaries that we're funding. Some of them are also you know comedy shows or com- comedy type documentaries that we um we recently uh, uh, launched or we we incubated in the last two years and recently launched as an independent nonprofit uh, a group called Bridge Entertainment Labs, which is a Hollywood-based organization that brings together, you know, all of the talents, all of the knowledge, all of the capabilities, and 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 and, and especially the uh, the emotional skills of storytelling into a group, into a, an organization that conducts workshops for writers and storytellers in Hollywood that are looking to do this across the board. So wow. there are uh, 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 there's obviously a lot of background and a lot of examples of how uh, 
uh, stories and or, or movies and TV shows have changed culture in the last 50 years. And we think there's a huge opportunity for that to happen in, in Hollywood from the perspective of, of depolarization and using stories, characters, uh, story arcs, narratives to show that, you know, what you think to be uh, a, a certain bias or bias that you have about uh, one side or the other may not necessarily be the case by showing characters that maybe are cross-cutting in some ways. They're in unusual um, uh, roles in a, in, in, a, in a TV show. Maybe, Krista, maybe you can talk a little bit more about that because you were obviously uh, central in actually getting that, uh, that project going the last couple of years. Well, I think that more and more people who cherish our representative democracy and who cherish the notion that there's more that connects us and divides us recognize that if we can get the storytellers in our country behind that message, telling more connecting stories and, as, as we say, complicating the narrative so that we move away from binary stereotypes, um, portrayals that are likely to prejudice, prejudice us against one another, uh, or to feel further contempt and disdain toward one another as fellow Americans, can we instead introduce plot lines, narratives, characters that show we are all uh, complex individuals, that we hold a diversity of, of beliefs and values and morals, and that we can transcend the differences that we encounter through relationships, friendships, connections that, um, that forge that social fabric at the, at the very local level and all the way up to the level of our, of our country and our shared identity as Americans. So we're very excited about having launched and provided this, I call it the watering hole, uh, for the entertainment industry to consider this outsize, this superpower they have to launch narratives out into American cultural life that can help us revisit our understanding of one another and uh, and perhaps turn and face each other in new and different and more open ways. So very excited to see where that work leads. Yeah. And and if I may, I wanted to just uh, in in providing this litany of different organizations that we support and projects that we've incubated. One one point I wanted to be sure to loop back to in the conversation and and show how this also informs our grant making is to acknowledge the outsized role that not only entertain, entertainers and cultural influences play in setting the, the tenor of our politics and our civil society, but also the outsized role of our political and media elites. Okay, mm -hmm. so, you know, there's an awful lot of work that any of us can do on ourselves to move from a from an outraged or an angered perspective to a more reflective, curious posture. And that's important work. Like all of us need to do that work and really do our best to embark on that journey or, or accelerate that journey if we hope to hold this country together deeply and meaningfully. But at the same time, it can be hard to make and hold those positive changes when every single day we're confronted with um, extremely divisive rhetoric and strategies that are being deployed by certain, not all, but certain political actors, by certain figures in the media, by certain algorithms in social media. There's an awful lot working against us there. We call it sometimes the toxic sludge. And with a big presidential election year looming, uh, I hate to say it, but the onslaught of toxic sludge is only likely to increase, if not inundate us in the coming year. Just mm -hmm. to put a, a punctuation mark on that, in this upcoming one-year election cycle, the forecast now is that approximately $10 billion will be spent within our economy 
on partisan political campaigning. And the vast majority of that is going to go into negative campaign ads. And in those ads, there will be an awful lot of rhetoric that is leaning into the sense of fear and threat and outrage that every one of us should be feeling towards our own fellow Americans. And why is that? Because when we're triggered in that way, when we feel angry and outraged and scared, we will vote, we will donate, we will click, we will tweet, we will share. And those are all things that benefit political and media and social media actors. These are actions they want us to take. And unfortunately, the fastest path to get us to take those actions can be to trigger our sense of threat and fear and to operationalize that or weaponize that against our fellow Americans. So I think it's just something that we all want to carry a heightened awareness of to do the best we can to kind of break out of that, that pattern, that cycle that we get caught up in, recognizing that it's happening an awful lot because somebody is benefiting. Somebody is winning when we feel angry, outraged, and divided from our fellow Americans. And it's worth just kind of taking a step back and going, hold on, is that my game? Or is that their game? Is that a game I want to play? Is that a game I don't want to play? And there was an opportunity in this year for us as Americans to say, you know, I don't want to play that game. I don't want to play that game. I don't want you to tell me that my next door neighbor who's voting differently than I am is my mortal enemy and someone I should live in fear of and that I should hate. That mm -hmm. is a choice. That is a choice. And we can all decide what our, what our choice will be and reflect on those mechanisms and forces that are coming at us that are really encouraging us to feel divided from one another and equip and empower ourselves to choose something different. Thank you for those insights, Kristen and Rob. I think yeah. it's really interesting, the conversation, particularly about kind of your work with culture changers, because I think yeah. that as someone who isn't very involved with politics, traditionally you would believe that if you wanted to tackle polarization, you would probably want to go into politics or work at a think tank or maybe even an NGO. And I think that how you break um, kind of the different groups down into bridge builders, culture changers and insight seekers is like really interesting to kind of show how mm -hmm. there are many multifaceted ways in which you can tackle this problem of polarization. And that's why um, kind of the funding that you are giving these organizations is so important. Um, Rob, I have a question for you, which is, you know, understanding that you work with a lot of different groups. How exactly does your organization evaluate the impact you are making? Uh, yes. So yeah. So measurement. We we talked a little bit earlier about this uh, the, this challenge that that we have and other anybody has coming into it. That that how do you know what to invest in? Right. Just if you happen to know them, maybe they're charming. Maybe they have a good uh, PowerPoint deck. But really, I mean, we're very much, you know, I come from finance uh, and, 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 and technology where, you know, it's about investment and about getting an ROI from for for the for the investment dollar. And and I think certainly looking at this from you know, my my funding isn't it's an infinite either. I want to make sure I do the maximum impact for my uh, for my investment. So we've definitely been very keen on as we got into the market or into the field that there wasn't such a good way to measure. Um, yeah, there were tools from academia that allowed um, the measurement for individuals to be uh, measured fairly accurately. It's things like affective polarization and other measures of, of like support for anti-democratic uh, behavior, support for political violence, uh, 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 hate speech. There are ways to measure these things, but as a way to measure, to turn that into a measurement of a, uh, of a particular inter uh, intervention, which is what these projects are called, it wasn't really there. So uh, we created a group, which is an organization that has a standardized set of measurement tools called SKIM. This is the Social Cohesion Impact Measure. 
And it's an organization that we funded along with some other other funders, and uh, we still operate it, which allows you know us and any and either a funder or a grantee, which is a, a project, to essentially sign up for this uh, this service, where basically the um, the, the target audience that's that's being that where the um, uh, intervention is going to be done, it get measured before. Um, there could be also a control group that, that's not that doesn't have the intervention, and then the intervention is done, which can take for anywhere from a few minutes to several weeks, whatever it is, in person, online, whatever it may be. And there's a series of questions that are done on a variety of uh, of, uh, of of uh, well, uh, socio sociologically driven measures that uh, that 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 show basically at the end of the intervention how much movement there's been on a variety of characteristics that are are leading or or. Are, are basically leading indicators of various types of democratic behavior. So um, we funded that, and we've—I don't know—we've done maybe thirty or thirty or more uh, uh, instances of um, uh, implementing this um, this tool. And so now we feel like when we go to our co-funders and when we look to make, make additional rounds or you know talk to co-funders about where to invest their capital, we can share these uh, metrics as a way to give a better. Um, Get better better information as to where to put our dollars in. So so we're happy about that, and it's something that we can keep uh, investing money into the actual measure itself. Thanks, Rob. That's great to hear. We've chatted a little bit about how the year twenty twenty four elections are looming. So we'd love to hear how do you see Civic Health Project working and adapting to the upcoming arguably really difficult election, especially given what we chatted about earlier on the podcast, which is that, you know, in some ways, there's so much money going to, you know, a somewhat monster, which is many political individuals on both sides, all sides who are going to put forth so much capital and so much energy into, you know, really, negative and toxic messages that kind of work against what Civic Health Project and arguably, you know, the future of the United States needs to see. So curious for any and all thoughts on that. As, as you can imagine, there are <laughs> a, a thousand different perspectives out there about what the 24 election will signify. And we have to remember that when we have a presidential election year, many other elections are happening too at the state level and all the way down. So this is this is the time every four years when American voters and citizens who choose to exercise their right to vote get to express their preference all the way up and down the ballot, all the way up to the presidency and all the way down to very local elections. And you know, they all matter. They all matter because all those things together add up to a government that represents the needs and preferences of voters or doesn't. So. I want to, you know, put in the plug to everybody who's listening or watching that participating in elections next year, it really, really matters. And I don't just mean the general election in November. I mean, knowing and understanding when your primary election is and how to participate in that as well. So by all means, exercise your right to vote. Um, I do want to say, too, as I mentioned earlier, there are, you know, <laughs> well, First of all, there will be billions, literally billions of dollars spent on the partisan battles that will take shape around every election at every level in 2024. So that's all happening. We can expect that on top of the 10 billion that's going to go into ad spending, there'll be another five, six or seven billion beyond that that is going into the coffers of, um, of you know, candidate teams, consultants, operatives, media, there's just going to be an awful lot of money flowing into 
the partisan battles that will take shape next year. But I do want to say again, at the same time, there is an enormous and vast reform ecosystem that's working on strengthening, shoring up, and like the words of Danielle Allen, who is revered in democracy strengthening circles, we are doing democracy renovation work to stand up this old house for another 250 years. And of course, 2026 is just around the corner. We're all fixated on 24, our election year, but 2026 is the 250th birthday of, of the United States of America. So that's an important year too. And these civil society organizations are out there doing this important strengthening and shoring up work every single day. And I know you asked about Civic Health Project, our job in 2024 is to do what we've been doing, and that is to help strengthen America's social and civic fabric to hold us through what will be a very turbulent and tumultuous and emotional year for people in this country. That's our job, to continue the work of strengthening relationships, communities, and our shared identity as Americans, as ideas that we help people to foreground in their minds and in their hearts, even as they're making these partisan choices about who they want to represent them. Very clear about that. That's our North Star. Definitely. Thank you so much for those insights. I think, you know, the 2024 elections are definitely on a lot of people's minds. And so it must be very insightful to just have your views. Um, so we're coming to the end of our podcast and we've had a lovely time talking to you both. You we too. would like to ask you, specifically Rob, you, Rob, one last question, which is what are some kind of skills and qualities you would encourage students who are interested in pursuing similar career paths to cultivate if they want to go into this work of strengthening you know, democracies in the U.S. or abroad? Wow. Um, good question. Um, I mean, I can tell you some of the things that have helped me, but but I think um yeah, that, that there's also other things that I think have helped others that I think are, are invaluable. I'll, I'll say one thing that helped me early in my career or even in my life that I think uh, if you haven't had it, I think you should do it, which is, you know, take some time and, 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 and like, um, you know, do some service, go and travel, go to a different place that you haven't been. I mean, traveling abroad, I think can be very interesting because you get to see a different, uh, a different world, a different language, a different society, different way people behave, different sorts of conflicts, conflicts that we think are important. They don't think are important. Mm. Certainly go visit different parts of your own country. I think that's really important. Uh, so I think having different experiences, I think is something to do. And if you are, let's say you are a student at a good school and you're going straight to a career, you may not, not have a lot of chance to have to take a little bit of side note and travel and see the world in a different way. So I think that's that's an important um, ingredient, I think, that can inform and help you be more open-minded about that really got, to, got us to our point. I mean, Chris and I don't have the same political views, but we certainly have come to the very same spot when it comes to the, the political system, and that, and that is because of our experiences. Um, I think in terms of, you know, um, working at, uh, at, at a career, I worked at operating companies, now I work at a financial company. Operating companies certainly is useful to learning how to manage, learning how to evaluate not only projects, but people is very important uh, for me, um, uh, evaluating investments and evaluating the ROI. And also, as we're looking at now, I have choices between today, between a project that's really attractive, but not very scalable, and a project that's maybe slightly more risky, but a lot more scalable. If I want to help impact the 2024 elections and we're an investor, we're kind of like a VC, we need to have something scalable that can maybe have a lower chance of success, but if it succeeds, it can be huge. So evaluating, evaluating items like that is really important to have the financial background that I have. 
But, um, but I'd say Kristen, I mean, to give her credit, she is the leader. She is the heart and soul of Civic Health Project. And she embodies, I mean, her, uh, her background is as a, as, a, as a manager, as a leader, as a communicator, and, and a teacher as well has been very, uh, very key. Maybe, Kristen, you could add a couple of things uh, on your side. Well, I think with the limited time we have left, I wanted to offer a few small um, uh, avenues or pathways for listeners who might feel keen to engage in what I would call inoculating strategies, like how do we vaccinate ourselves against this toxic year that we're all going to enter into? What can we do, you know? And um, and so if I may, let me just suggest a few simple ideas that can help people find resources, tools, concepts that help you go, oh, hey, I can I can break out of this trap. I don't have to succumb to the toxic sludge. I don't have to hate the person who lives next door to me. There, there are options and, and I'm empowered to choose those different options. So I'd love to have you all think about following um, uh, a resource that we, we follow ourselves and feel that the voice really exemplifies what bridging divides is all about. And that is starts with us. So check out hashtag starts with us or go to the website startswith.us and you can start today getting daily doses that are going to make you just feel better immediately like you are being inoculated against this divisive rhetoric, these divisive strategies. So that starts with us. A great resource for understanding how media covers the food fight is go to allsides.com and make allsides your part of your newsfeed or maybe your main newsfeed because allsides shows how the same issues in American society are covered by the left, right, and center in our politics. So side by side right there, you can see how media bias creeps in and shows us almost like a Rorschach test, different perspectives on the same issue. That's all sides. And one last plug I wanna make, because I mentioned yesterday, uh, in my earlier comments, I was talking about those, those bad faith actors, those politicians whose rhetoric and strategies seek to divide us. But one really exciting campaign that's underway that I'd love for you all to check out is uh, being led right now by the National Governors Association. And big shout out to the governors here in the United States who have launched a campaign called Disagree Better. So you can check that out too. Hashtag Disagree Better. It shows real examples of our governors and other major elected leaders in our country modeling civil discourse across mm -hmm. political divides and across the partisan aisle. I think it's really inspirational and it gives us a taste of how our politics could be different and how our political elites could help lead and model us in a different direction in our daily political discourse. So that uh, starts with us, all sides, and disagree better. Check them out. Thank you so much. What a wonderful way to end up the podcast. I'm sure we're going to go and search up those resources right after. But Great. thank you so much, Rob and Kristen. It's been a pleasure talking to you both on the pod. Great. Rest too. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you Take so care. much.